Welcome to episode 51 of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I was going to talk to you about budget and finance. I'm also may, if there's enough time, I may get into some uh, real estate stats. I got the uh, market update stats from Treb. If I don't do it on this podcast, I'll do another podcast later on and, and, and get the rates going there. But in the meantime, I want to get into the budget and financing. I'm going to say, you know, actually, before I get into the podcast, what I'm going to say is I got my second shot yesterday for, uh, you know, the vaccine and stuff. I got the mix. Not sure if that's good, bad, whatever. Started off today with a little off, but I don't think that had anything to do with the vaccine. I kind of uh, twisted my neck at night. So I have trouble moving like this. Kind of hurts a little bit. But anyways, that was interesting. I, um, yeah, so now I'm fully vaccinated. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. We're going to find out, obviously, over time. So I got it. I'm done. And I'm going to get into the podcast now. So, yeah, so as I was saying, like, if you're self-employed, you're a contractor, a realtor, budgeting is a major concern. As you know, we're commissioned salespeople. So we only get paid when we make a sale. Other than that, we get no income, nothing. So we have to make our money last. It has to, you know, keep going until the next, pretty much the next sale. So that could be rough for some people and our expenses are not exactly cheap. Let's, uh, let's be honest here. Like, I think uh, I think it costs us on average somewhere between seven and ten k just to have our uh, our license, and that's just to have the license. Forget uh, you know doing anything with it. So you know it is kind of pricey. And what can I say? You know, what I mean that's the industry we choose. That's what we chose to get into. That's uh, it has its rewards. I'm not going to say it does not. I mean I, I'm enjoying it. I like what I do. So. But the point is, we have to have a clear budget. That's where I'm going with this. Otherwise, we're going to run into a lot of problems. And it's something that getting into the real estate market or any form of commission job, you shouldn't get into it right away if you're going in with your last dime and have nothing in reserve. Because what are you going to do? Survive on credit cards? Survive on a line of credit? That's usually never a good idea. So now it's good to have the line of credits and stuff like that, just in case you have a commission on the way your bills are due today. I mean, we don't get paid when the house closes as an example, right? Like if the house closes, just say June 30th, July 1st, we don't get paid June 30. We don't get paid. We got to wait till the brokerage gets the money and then the brokerage has to release it. It could take up as much as three weeks after closing. So imagine now if you have, uh, if you made the uh, deal in May 1st and it closed on June 30th, that means we're not going to get paid to the third week of July. It is possible to get paid right away. Sometimes the broker, like sometimes if you're the listing agent, the brokerage is the one that holds the deposit. So it comes a little quicker, but it could take up to three weeks. So you got to be prepared for that. You got you to gotta expect that when you make a sale, basically bottom line is for at least a couple of months, you're not going to see any money. So if you don't have a float and you're not working on a budget, that could be a problem. That could be a major problem. So You always got to prioritize that. Now, there's different ways of doing it. I tend to like the Dave Ramsey way, which is basically the baby steps and not having, um, I'm not a fan of debt. Uh, I, before I got into real estate, I didn't carry credit cards. I didn't like credit cards. Now I'm not going to lie and say I've never had credit cards. I had it when I was younger. I mean, if you watch my biography, you would have (laughs) saw the kind of trouble I got myself into, 
But regardless of that is the fact that I, I tended to stay away from credit cards. When I got into the real estate, I kind of, you know, how do you pay your uh, real estate fee when you pay it online? Kind of hard without them, right? So, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's a life choice. You choose what you have, well, you, whether you have them or not, but that should not be your choice on how to balance yourself or budget yourself. Credit cards should not be your way of thinking. So I'm going to go through the uh, Dave Ramsey's, uh, you know, baby steps. And I'm going to tell you how I apply it to my life right after that. Like his baby step number one is save a thousand for your starter emergency fund. Now, when he wrote that a thousand seems great. I think a thousand is a little too low in today's standards. I don't know about you, but if you live at home and um, you have a home, you're paying a mortgage, I guarantee you a thousand bucks isn't your mortgage payment. So with that being said, not going to take, you know, emergency funds, not going to take you very far with a thousand bucks. So I personally recommend, and my opinion is have 2,500 as your emergency fund, but that's my opinion. You can do what you want. So then he goes, once you have your emergency uh, fund, which emergency fund to be clear is not something that, okay, well, I'm getting paid next week. I'm going to use this to buy myself uh, a new tires or new radio or whatever for my car. That's not emergency fund at least the interpretation that I take it, my mortgage is due tomorrow and I'm short 500 bucks. So I'm going to bounce my mortgage payment if I don't take that money. That's emergency. You're not going to bounce payments. That would be bad. So that's an emergency. I got no food in the fridge and I don't get paid for two weeks. That's emergency. You're going to eat. Um, but you know what? I want to pay uh, a fee that could be paid next month not an emergency. I want to uh, get a new cell phone. Not an emergency. I'm going on vacation and I need extra cash. Not an emergency. I think you get where I'm going with that. So, but that's just my opinion. Um, baby step number two, he says, pay off all debt except the house. And, you know, using the debt snowball, that's, that's his theory. He's like, next time, it's time to pay off the cars, the credit cards, the student loans. Start by listing all your debts except for your mortgage. Put them in order by balance from smallest to largest, regardless of the interest rates. Pay the minimum payments on everything but the little one. Attack the little one with a vengeance. Once it's gone, take that payment, put it towards the second smallest debt, making minimum payments on the rest. And that's what the debt snowball method is. You're basically going to knock off each debt one by one, and you do it from smallest to largest, regardless of interest rate. The theory behind that is that if, for example, I'll break it down. I'll give you an example. Pretend you had $30,000 of debt. Now pretend one credit card is 500. Another credit card is a thousand. Um, and then you have a line of credit with 5,000 on it. Then you're also going to have the rest of it is your car payment, right? And I just say, pretend your car payment is 20 K. I'm not going to do the math penny by penny here. Now, if you're going to pay off your car at 20 K and you're just making minimum payments and everything else, that's going to make it uh, a royal pain in the ass because what ends up happening is every month you're, that, that payment you're making, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, and it's going to go, and it's going to make the balance smaller, but you're not going to see it. So what ends up happening is it always feels like you're just wasting time. You're not doing anything. You're not getting anything paid off. It just feels like you're just constantly putting money towards something and you don't see any results. It's discouraging. It's obnoxious. And it makes it hard to continue because then you see so many other things you want to do. And, and instead of feeling like progress, it starts to feel like you're uh, being held back. So hard to stick with when you, when that's the uh, condition you're in. So the idea is if you pay the smallest 
debt first, 500 bucks. Just say you pay off 500 bucks in the first uh, month, as an example. Now, what happens is that's one less payment you're making. Now, I feel like you did something. You got one less payment. You did one less thing. Now, like one less thing to worry about, I mean. So that's out of the way. So it feels like you accomplished something. Sometimes you got to enjoy the small wins. So it's harder doing it largest to smallest. It's much harder. It's much annoying. And it's hard to stay on track and it's hard to be motivated. So that's a lot of reasons why I, that's the concept between doing it um, smallest to uh, largest, basically. You know, so that's, that's, that's the reason why, or that's one of the reasons why. And again, at the end of the day, you got to figure out what works for you. I'm just going by the Ramsey thing here. I kind of believe that. And I kind of went with that myself when I was there. Um, Baby step number three, this is going to be the key component if you're in commission sales, um, which is save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. Um, You paid off your debt. You don't slow down. You take that money that you're throwing in your debt and you build a fully funded emergency fund, which is about three to six months of expenses. So if you got a mortgage, you got a mortgage, you got, um, I don't know, food, uh, taxes, whatever, and you pretend, you know, pretend that's 40K a year. So obviously you take that, you'd, you'd put away 20K, right? That's six months of expenses for emergency. That's when you're short. So you, you don't miss anything. You just keep putting money in there. And then when you get to the six months, that's usually ideal to uh, get into the commission sales because now you got to fund just in case. You don't want to use it. You want to get like, that's why I would recommend if you're starting something uh, uh, contrary to the normal, you know, you got to be in it full time. If you're not in it full time, you're not going to get a, you know, ahead. Contrary to that, I'm going to contradict this and say, I will keep your income or at least a part-time income and whatever you're doing while you're building this fund, I wouldn't go all in my, like, I don't believe, I don't believe you should go all in assuming you want to stay out of debt. If you don't care about carrying debt, then Hey, this is choice, right? This is a budget suggestion. So when you get six months emergency fund, then you're not desperate for that commission check and you can afford to wait that month or two that it takes to get it. And you keep focused, you keep building. And when you have a clearer mind, it's easy to keep moving forward. So three to six month emergency fund, I tend to like six months. You can get away with three. So then you would move into uh, step number four, which is uh, every time you get a, uh, an income, you invest 15% of your income towards retirement. Now, where I'm going to go a step further, and this is going to apply to real estate, is um, you got to have a marketing budget too. So I take uh, roughly, in the beginning while I'm building my budget and my finances and stuff, I take 20% towards marketing. 20% of every commission goes towards uh, remarketing myself to keep building the business. When uh, you've got your six months, you've got everything stabilized and you've got a regular flow of income, then I tend to boost that 20% to 30%. So again, that's how I run my real estate thing. That's up to you how you want to do it. Um, but aside from that, you put 15% towards your uh, retirement, which is a great, uh, yeah, great idea. And at least you have something because let's face it, if you're on commission sales, you're doing real estate, you don't have a pension. Your pension is whatever you save or invest in. So that's the thought there. Baby step five is save your children's college fund. So if you have kids, they're going to go to college or university, or at least you hope they do. Um, that's debatable too, but regardless. So you want to have an education savings account of some form you know, towards that. 
I mean, unless you plan to leave them on their own and say it's up to you. I mean, again, that's a personal thing. If you can do it, you probably should. So once you're, you know, from that point on, you're, you're saving, you know, for the college fund, you're funding the college fund. Now, baby step number six, you're going to pay off that mortgage as quick as possible. So it's the hardest part because it's usually a big mortgage. And the only thing between you and complete freedom of debt or freedom from debt is that mortgage. And trust me, when you're mortgage free, the options are unlimited. You just got rid of the biggest payment and the biggest pain in the ass. The one thing that holds you to being a slave. Because when you are in debt, you're a slave to your creditors. I really believe that. Because as long as you owe somebody, somebody else is telling you how to live. Maybe not directly, but it's controlling your options. It's limiting your options. You know, you want to go on vacation, that's 5K. Well, that's your mortgage payment. You're not going. That's all you have. That's just the way it is. And if you go, you're stupid. That's my opinion. So yeah, yeah, don't do optional things in lieu of paying bills but most people are going to know that so yeah you pay off your home early you pay it off as quick as possible so if you got a 15-year mortgage at this point in time just say you went through all this you got to this point it took you five years you got 10 years left try to pay it off in seven helps makes it easy makes it quickly once you're all debt free his baby step number seven is build wealth and give so you know what you can do when you have no debt? Anything you want. I mean, really, last step is the best. You can live and give like no one else. Keep building wealth and become outrageously generous, all while leaving an inheritance to your kids and their kids. And now that is leaving a legacy. So that's his ba- seven steps, uh, baby steps. And it's kind of true. Now, to go a step further in terms of budgeting, now I have a um, an experience. Now, what do you call it? Uh, Excel spreadsheet. I list all my expenses in there and I have it broken down to monthly. And at the end of the column, it's a yearly thing. So I know what my minimum is and I know where it goes. So I have this spreadsheet and you fill in the forms. What ends up happening is every month I enter everything that was spent. I've done everything through the bank accounts or, you know, or credit cards. Um, and at the end of the month, I, uh, tabulate everything and I put them in the right category. See whether it was on budget, over budget, um, under budget. So at least you're tracking where you are and what you're doing. It's not just, oh, I think I spent this. I think I spent that. You'd be surprised by doing that. How many times you get a number and it's completely different than what you thought. Yeah. I remember one month as an example, I thought I went out and I said, yeah, I spent a couple of hundred bucks this month, 250. I tabulated Eating out, I spent five fifty that month. That was kind of a shocker to me. And if I was following my budget properly, I would have known that. So, I mean, obviously, it's not perfect. You're not going to be perfect every month, and you're going to work on it. So I've got into a habit now. I go out, I take all the receipts, I tabulate daily, so I have the numbers per month. And I track everything every month, so I know where I'm at, and I know how much of a budget I have left. So this way, I know exactly what to expect. I get no surprises. Does that mean I'm always under budget because I'm doing this? No, sometimes I know I'm going over. Sometimes I'm going under. Uh, There's been months where I just said, you know, I'm going to have to spend a couple hundred dollars more than I thought. Next month, I cut back. I spent $200 less. Kind of keep it on budget. So 
that's one thing I do. I keep it into an Excel spreadsheet. It's easy to track, easy to go. I do everything through the same bank account. I don't, I try not to use multiple bank accounts. It becomes complicated. And I have the one bank account. I track it. I put them together to match. I uh, get them, you know, I have everything tracked to the penny. So I know exactly how much I was spent, where it went, how it got there, why I went. I even this way, even for business, I even put my business expenses there. So this way, I have the numbers and it makes it even easier when it comes to giving the numbers to your accountant because he doesn't have to tabulate it and charge you extra hours because it's there. Now he may do it because of his own verification, but hey, you never know. So I save money by doing it and it's a good idea. I mean, if you don't know what your budget is, how do you know when you spend too much? Um, at the end of the day, if you use a credit card, which again, again, depends on what you believe in. If you believe in the Dave Ramsey thing, then you don't have credit cards, period. And I believe 100% that you will spend more if you have a credit card, whether you think you do, whether you think you don't, whether you want to, whether you don't want to, to collect those stupid points, cash back, whatever the crap it is that you get with them, will you spend more 100%? And you have to be um, able to compensate for that. And you have to be willing to uh, put up with the fact that you're going to spend more by having it. Otherwise, just cut them up. Use the Visa debit. Very simple. Totally up to you. You choose your life. You're the master of your own domain. So just telling you what stats provide. Stats provide people use credit cards, tend to use, spend more than they plan to or they expected. So with that being said, whether you use it or not, the one thing I advise is always make sure you don't spend more than you can uh, pay each month, right? Like it, it, just because the bank will give you 20,000 bucks for uh, in terms of line, a credit doesn't mean you should take it. You know, know what you're going to spend, know what you could pay each month. I wouldn't really take a limit more than that. That's my opinion. Again, do what you want. So I never carry a balance. Um, I'm not going to say I was always like that because, uh, hey, I just look at my uh, last podcast, which is my biography. <laughs> I went bust. How can you go bust if you have no balance? Right. So obviously something happened. So I'm not going to lie about that. And it is what it is. But you're going to learn along the way. So yeah, so that's that's where it goes in terms of uh, tracking. I mean, tracking is so important. It goes even beyond budgets, because if you track everything, you know where you wasted time. Where you like things get done more efficiently when you have everything tracked, because you learn from what you did the previous month, because you see it on paper. I love tracking. I have a notebook. I carry everything in that notebook. I got everything in my calendar on my phone and my CRM. I track everything. I know exactly what's going on when it's going on. Doesn't mean I make mistake. I don't make mistakes because I do, but it's there. So, yeah, absolutely. Very simple. You know, you, you know your income. You know your average income. You take the last year, the last two years, the last three years. If you're working for somebody and you're doing the nine to five, you have a steady paycheck. You know damn well what you're getting. That's easy to break the you know, like the build a budget and, and follow it and track it. At the same time, if you got to buy, remember, nothing is free. You know, when you go to a furniture store and it says, don't pay for two years. Uh, well, believe me, there's a, there's the hidden fees there that you don't know about. And pretend that it is 100% free. There is no hidden fees. That two years, you know how fast that goes by? And imagine if you didn't have the money to buy that piece of furniture today and that and then your mind forgot about it. Now you get to notice that it's due in 30 days. Try coming up with that money in 30 days. You didn't have it when you went to buy it. You're going to forget all about it and you're not going to have it when it is due. It's, and then that's when you start paying the real fees and it happens. It's very common. Not, uh, it's not unrealistic to believe that it'll happen either. You, nobody does anything for free. 
And it's just like, like anything, they know a certain amount of people are going to take advantage of it. And a certain amount of people are going to uh, actually pay it off early, pay it off on time, whatever. So they may not make money on those people, but they all know a certain percentage of people are going to miss the mark. And that's when all the fees are coming. Just natural mathematics, statistics, right? Just like insurance. If you have insurance and you're paying a thousand bucks a year and their payout is 50K and they had to pay everybody, do the math. $1,000, $50,000 payoff. That's a $49,000 loss each and every time. What insurance company would still be in business? None. They're in business. Why? Because they pay $1,000 a year from everybody. Now, maybe a small percentage put in a claim. So they're losing a few people, but they make on the majority. They're making fortunes of people not collecting. It's the same way with those pay you leaders. So that's my thought. That's my theory. Again, that's the Dave Ramsey way. There's other ways like look at Grant Cardone building billions of dollars in real estate, but he gets investors. He puts in big bucks. He's got, he carries loans. Um, a lot of times in real estate, what do we preach to our clients? You can refinance your home in order to buy a second home, refinance the home at a lower interest rate, get money out of the house so you can use that money as a down payment for your next investment property. And we call that building wealth. Yes, that can work. Yes, it can be smart. There is advantages to that. There is downsides to it too. At what point can you over leverage yourself where the payments become higher than what you can actually pay. You got a single family home. Pretend you're living in one and your mortgage is like $1,400, right? You re refinance your house. Now your mortgage payment goes up to $1,600, $1,700 with the difference in, uh, you just say you got $150,000. I'm just making these numbers up, giving you an example. Now you're going to still afford the $1,600, $1,700 because you're going to rent out that second house. So even that second house that's going to have another $1,500 of mortgage payments, you can rent that out and you're going to rent that out for $2,200. So even after um, after expenses and everything, your taxes just say are $400. Now the excess from the first house is $200. So that's $600. You're, I might've done the number wrong, but the point I'm getting at is four. Yeah. It, like pretend, pretend that you're collecting 2,200. The tenants are going to pay the um, what do you call it? the utility bills? Your only thing you're liable for is the taxes and insurance. Pretend that that, that it costs four hundred dollars, like I said, and you have uh, your mortgage at home just went up two hundred dollars. So I'm going to even give you a bad example where you're only breaking even on the rental. And what ends up happening is you're breaking even, but your house is appreciating. And not only is it appreciating, the tenants are the ones paying the bill. You're not. So you're getting appreciation value plus someone else is paying the bill. Sounds like a road to wealth, right? Great. You love this idea. This is going great. So you get another down payment over a couple of years of savings. You're going to refinance both houses this time to get a, a, the down payment, like then a bigger down payment and to be able to afford the third house. So now you got a third rental unit. Sounds great, right? Except this one here, inflation. Rent is not $2,500. Your mortgage is still the $1,500 because the interest rates went down in this scenario. So you still got the same $1,500. Now you've got three homes. Sounds like you're building, right? And plus, so again, so 
your rent, your mortgage is fifteen hundred. You're collecting twenty five hundred. Um, just say the taxes went up to four. You know, taxes and um, insurance are now five hundred dollars. So instead of twenty one hundred dollars, it's costing you twenty two hundred dollars or something. I know the math is off on that, but I'm I'm getting to a point. I don't think it really matters. So pretend your expenses all in is twenty two hundred. We just said that you're getting twenty five hundred for that house. So now you're in a positive cash flow of three hundred dollars. The longer you have it. You're getting $300 per month, $3,600 you're depositing in your bank account over and above paying all the mortgages. So now you're ahead. Sounds great, right? Why don't you keep repeating and keep doing it? That is the theory. That is the idea. Now here's what happens. COVID hits and people stop paying rent. Now you think the mortgage company is going to say, well, don't pay me. I, I get it. Nobody's paying you, so you don't have to pay me. Now, we had a little bit of that in the beginning where you can defer it. But deferring doesn't mean you don't pay it. It means you owe it later. And theory, in theory, the tenants are supposed to do the same thing. But the reality is they've got nothing invested. They could pick up and leave, try and collect once they left. So what happens to that money? Now your payment's gone up and you don't have a tenant. You see where the trouble could start? Do I agree and do I think you should invest in real estate and have those rental units? Yes, I'm giving you exam extreme examples. I say do it, do it cautiously. Do it the one at a time. Build up, Get even get multiple doors. That's one thing I agree with, multiple doors. You don't want to rely on one tenant you know, to pay all your bills because if that tenant stops paying, you're on the hook. So I always say be beauty. If you, if you don't want to get into a fourplex, threeplex, all that stuff, get a single family home, get a bungalow with an upstairs, downstairs. Rent the upstairs and downstairs separately. One stops paying, you still have income. You're not taking a total hit. The likelihood of both people you know, not paying is very unlikely. Uh, going by stats, it, uh, it rarely does it happen. When you're relying on one, anything is possible. When you're relying on two incomes, not likely. Again, you have two homes, four incomes, chances are you're going to be okay. So there is ways around it, but the point is that's using debt. You got to decide who are you more like? What is your thing? Are you okay with debt to build? Or would you rather buy things slower and do it debt-free? You got to choose that. But at the end of the day, you always need cash flow. Cash flow is the number one thing. Because if you have no cash flow and emergencies happen, now you're in trouble. So as long as you create cash flow to build wealth, then there's a plan there. But you got to start somewhere. And I always start off, have three to six month emergency fund that can carry you through. I mean, especially if you're in commission sales, because you just don't know when the check is coming and you can't sit there and rely on credit and de dig deep into credit and loans to just to get you through so you can get a commission. Three to six months, I, I recommend have six months of money away. That should buy you time and that should give you the time you need to keep collecting and just keep building and building and building. There's a plan. Track everything, every penny, you go on to the restaurant, take the receipt, put it into the book. Keep doing that every month. You know where you are. When you hit, get close to the budget, try to stretch it out. And I don't mean stretch the budget out. I mean, don't go out as often budget. Sometimes you have a budget for your car. I'm going to spend $300 on the car. You didn't spend it. You're going to go over on the meals, take the hundred dollars from there, save the extra 200. Don't go spend it. At least you're you're trying to budget at the end of the year. If you budgeted your 30,000 in expenses, you want to get in that 30,000. You don't want to go over. I mean, that's common sense, but how many times do we get surprised? 
And I'm willing to bet a lot of times we get surprised with credit card bills too. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm biased against credit cards, although I'm a hypocrite because I have one. Actually, to be honest, I have three. Um, they're all at zero, but that's not the point. So do I spend more because I have them? 100%. Am I aware of it? 100%. It is what it is. Life choice. You live with the results as well. So we're at 30 minutes. I think you got my point in terms of budgeting and financing. I mean, the main points here, track everything, have six months of uh, expenses. I believe have a 2,500 emergency fund that doesn't include that six months, has nothing to do with it. That's something you don't touch unless uh, you know you're pretty much a sunk ship if you don't. And that's my belief and that's what you should have and that's the way it should be. So those are the key points there. So tracking budgeting like know what you're going to spend and be realistic if you make three thousand dollars and you budget your necessities only at two thousand that doesn't mean go and spend a thousand dollars to go out because now you can be reasonable be logical you know like you got to think future wise too so 29 minutes in i've gone through my spiel i'm debating whether as i said at the beginning whether i want to get into the market stats or save it for another day. But I'm going to get into the market stats. Now that I think about it, I'm going to do it because you know what? Let's get it out while it's fresh. We're going to start off with the overall GTA market stats versus, yeah, we're going to start off with the GTA overall. The average sale price in June was a million and seventy-five thousand six hundred and thirty-six dollars. That is a twenty point seven percent increase year to date. The number of sales year to date is 70,133, uh, st- which is a 95% increase from last year, which is not a surprise because this is when we started opening up in June. We started opening up last year for real estate. So we didn't really see the big increase and the boom and, and the sense of uh, normal stats where we compare year to year till basically July because it was halfway through June when we started. So it's a little bit off compared to the normal year to year compared to 2019 and 18, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not that surprise. Of course, it's a 95% increase. We were down last year. Um, average days on market. Here's the key thing. Average days on market is still 13 days. Wow. That is not long. Less than two weeks, your house is sold on average. Wow. So breakdown of all types of homes. So total sales for June was 11,106. There's a Active listings of 11,297. Active sales were uh, 19.3% less. Um, Total active listings less than last year, but we explained why. And 11,106 in total sales. It's up 28.5% from last year. Again, we explained why. Uh, average price, though, is $1,089,536,000 for June. We're talking about not overall. The last one was the overall. This is, you know, like the overall year to date. This is just for the month of June. Million and 17% higher than last year. But the thing is, prices last year were not affected in the way that it didn't go down in price because of the COVID. In fact, it just went up. So the prices are higher even compared to 2019. So that's the key component. Um, 
Where else? Condos, average sale price, $683,479. It's a a positive of 8.2%. 2,800 condo sales, 56.2%. If you remember, last year during COVID, a lot of people moved out of the city to get in, whether it was detached, townhomes, larger condos, whatever. They left the city. A lot of people did. Not everybody, but there was a lot of people. Condos took a bit of a hit last year, but they're making a bounce back, as you can see. And I believe in September, when we're up and running, I mean, because we're still in the partial lockdown, when we're up and running and, and things are back, and I believe, you know, school's coming back in September. People are going back to school full time and, you know, offices are going to open up. Some of the people who thought they were working from home are going to get a wake up call. And some of the people will still wake up work from home, but there's going to be a lot of offices and there's going to be people who were working from home and expect them to go back that are going to go back. So do I think it's just going to be September 1st, boom, we're back? No, but I think gradually over time, we'll start to get back to the normal day-to-day life. I believe my personal opinion, assuming nothing changes, just based on what I see today, I believe by January 2022, we'll be back in normal cycle. That's what I believe, like 100% normal cycle. Now, that normal cycle isn't going to be the same as what normal was before COVID. We'll have our own version of the new COVID or the new cycle after COVID, post-COVID, as they say. So we'll have a different normal post-COVID normal, but whatever that's going to be, I think we'll be in the full swing of that by January. That's my opinion. Now, here we go. Now I'm going to get into something here. Number of months of inventory. This usually dictates whether we are in a buyer's market, a seller's market, or a balanced market. We have 1.02 months of inventory. That means we are still in a seller's market. So. That means we're, well, it means it's bad for buyers, but it's not too uh, bad for sellers. Could that change? Sure. Do I think it's going to change? Not that much. So that's where we are right now. 1.02. And that's going to tell you what type of uh, market you're in. Now, if we're going to get into the deep down Toronto market stats for June, again, Toronto, Average sales price, just Toronto, nowhere else is a million and fifty-one eight oh seven year to date. That means from January to June, it's up eight point five percent. Number of sales in Toronto is twenty-four thousand one hundred and sixty-one, a ninety-eight point seven percent increase. Again, COVID, we didn't really start building up until mid-June, late June, almost July. Not surprising. Average days on market. Here's what's interesting. If you looked at all of the GTA, the average days on market was 13. So if you're in the Toronto core, you got an extra two days because it's 15 days a year to date. Now, breakdown of all homes were uh, 3,850 homes, uh, total sales, which is up 36%. Active listings, 5,128. That's down 3.8%. Now, average price, well, you know, in June again, is a million and seventy nine seven forty nine. It's up five point six percent. But you notice that it was down a few thousand from the overall. So that means there's certain places that are even higher. I mean, average condo sale in Toronto 
717,466. Condo sales are 1,907. That's 47.7 increase. We're coming back with condos. We're coming back. Some people realize what I'm saying. Um, months of inventory is 1.33. So that's a point, that's a 0.30% more than the average overall. So it's still only a month and uh, we got one, one and a third month basically before we run out of uh, houses. So still pretty bad. I mean, it's still a seller's market, right? So the pressure's still on. But we're going to get into Mississauga. Mississauga has, a, you know, the average year-to-date price is $1,019,383. It's up 19.6% sales price. So if you think about it, Toronto's still higher, which is expected. Number of sales, 6,415. I'm not even going to tell you the year-to-date. Well, that is the year-to-date, but I'm not going to tell you the percentage because we know why already. But here's the interesting fact. Remember, Toronto was a 15-day average days on market. The average overall was 13 days. Mississauga is 12. So Mississauga is selling quickly. Um, number of sales were 1,044 in June. Uh, active listings were only 1,022. So that means more homes sold than were on the market, which means there's even a bigger shortage in Mississauga. So average price in Mississauga is almost the same as the year to date, $1,019,325. Um, average sales price of a condo is $582,155. Still, It's up 5.9%, but it also means there's an opportunity there because as the condo goes up, Mississauga is not that far from Toronto. So I'm sure you can imagine what's going to happen. Great opportunity if you're looking to buy a condo in Mississauga. If you're looking to buy a condo, Mississauga, great opportunity. Still at a reasonable rate. Not that the other ones aren't reasonable. That's not what I'm saying. But, I mean, the price is pretty good. Uh, condo sales, it's 290 up 66%. We know that. Here's the interesting part. 0.98 months of inventory. That means they're going to run out of inventory in less than a month if they get no active listings. Oakville. Oakville is huge. It's wow. So o Oakville market stats. The average sale price year to date, $1,466,606, up 26.7%. Number of sales, 2,635. Average days on market, here you go, 12 days. So breakdown of all home types. 386 sold, 19.9% increase. Active listings, 363. Here's the kicker. People don't like leaving Oakville. Why do I say that? The number of active listings is almost cut in half. That means we had more listings last year than we do this year. 42.7% to be exact. So less people are selling in Oakville. That might be something you, you know that interests you. Might want to know why. Hmm. It's very interesting. That, that's not usually something I say here. Um, average price in Oakville in June year in June was one million four hundred thirty-seven thousand nine hundred eighty-six. It is fifteen point one percent increase. Condos. Here's another interesting thing. Remember, Mississauga was five eighty-five. Again, most of the detached home, whatever was a lot higher too. But 
uh, lower in, in Mississauga too. But here's something: average condo price in Oakville is seven hundred and ten thousand and sixty-seven dollars, up twenty-six point eight percent. Number of condo sales fifty-three, again, fifty-five point nine percent more than last year. But if you notice, the number of a number of listings on the market is down by half. That's wow. That is kind of uh, scary, scary. And if you want, you know, just to give you an idea in terms of the condo price in Oakville, seven ten, the average price in in twenty twenty was five hundred fifty nine thousand nine hundred, almost five sixty. But here's the killer: two thousand nineteen was five hundred fifteen thousand, basically. Two thousand eighteen was five ninety two. So where I'm going? Do you notice that two thousand and eighteen? It was 592, then it took a dip in 2019. That is an interesting thing, right? Well, I believe our official market crash was in February 2018. So that would have explained the drop. So it, it's interesting. But here's the, here's, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. If you own a home in, in uh, Oakville, you have a very, very, very low inventory count. 0.94 that's lower that's the lowest one yet that's very low if you think about it that's like way less than a month and the number of people that are selling in oakville is on a decline so think about that that that's maybe oakville is the new place to go now i'm not getting into burlington today i'm not getting to hamilton i probably should have but i'm not prepared for that i didn't uh, get the stats from there I am just going with the Treb stats right now and try and that's pretty much going up to Oakville. So that's where we are with market stats for now. And I found it very interesting. It uh, still means we're in a heated market. I mean, I personally, just from my own observation, do I notice a difference today? July 7th. Do I notice a difference between July 7th and June 7th? Yes. I see a bit of a pause. Not a major one. Things are not selling as fast and as big as they used to a month ago. Prices are still selling high. I don't think this is a market drop. But I think there's been a little bit of a pause. This might be an opportunity for those who were going into bidding wars before and kept losing. You got into one and you find out you're the 30th bid in the, on the poll and you're going, I'm getting fed up with this. This might be the time to find market to find a home that's been on the market already for over 14 days. That means their bid didn't work. That might be the opportunity for you to go in and strike a deal. Now may be the time because we're in July. We're just opening up. There's a lot of people more interested in getting out because they're tired of seeing the same four walls every day. Trust me, at one point in time, I was wondering if I needed to check in somewhere because my walls were talking back to me. You know, like it's one of those things, okay to talk to your wall as long as you don't expect it to answer. Getting there, I'm thinking it's starting to answer. I'm going stir crazy. I was going stir crazy. So, opportunity is presenting itself. It's up to you whether you want to see it or not. This may be the time. If you have a realtor, whoever you use, even if it's not me, it doesn't matter. Whoever your realtor is, get them to find the property that's been on longer than the 14 days. Because I just showed you the 15 days was the, the average uh, sale. So, if it's gone past 15 days, chances are the bid failed. And opportunity. These guys are going to want to sell. 
So that might be an opportunity. might be the only offer. Even if you're not the only offer, there might be only one or two other offers that come in. Less pressure, more opportunity. Now's the time to look. Don't wait till September when everyone goes back on the hunt and they're going to be, you know, bid number 30 again, which is a possibility. So that's my take. This is episode 51 of the John Papaloni Show. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.